You're listening to WALT. Homegrown. Homemade radio. Tell me a story. In this century and moment of mania, tell me a story. Make it a story of great distances and starlight. The name of the story will be Time, but you must not pronounce its name. Tell me a story of deep delight. Those are the words of the writer Robert Penn Warren. I have them taped up on the wall here in my studio, alongside those of a few other writers, whose wisdom I try to keep close at hand. I love that Warren quote, because to me, it speaks to the deep appeal of a great story. I think he's telling us that the best stories aren't satisfying because of their plot. I think Warren is tapping into our inherent sense that time is the most precious resource, and he's saying that the best stories and the worlds in which they immerse us are time well spent. I find Warren's words to be particularly resonant when it comes to the kinds of stories we tell on Family Ghosts, because unlike a story told in a book or a play or a movie, we usually don't get to decide how our stories end. They sort of reveal their endings to us, usually after weeks or months of patience, investigation, and reflection. Sometimes the right ending for one of our stories isn't necessarily the most dramatic conclusion from a purely narrative standpoint. We have to find the ending that's the most true to the experience of the time we've spent in that family's world. Of course, we also don't get to decide whether or not that ending is satisfying for you, Ghost Family. And one of the many things I love about you is that when one of our episodes moves you in some way, for better or for worse, you write in and let us know. And there's one story that we get more mail about than any other. It's one of our most popular episodes, and it has probably the most open-ended conclusion of any of our stories. The episode is called The Faith Exam, and it tells the story of a young woman named Julian, who is asked to record a series of tapes about the role of faith in her life as part of the process of joining a new church. In the course of interviewing her family for those tapes, Julian discovers a troubling secret about her family's past, and a connection between that secret and the leader of the congregation she's hoping to join, the same person who will end up listening to the tapes that she's making. As I told you back when we first released The Faith Exam, Julian's story is a fictionalized version of a real story. And when we released The Faith Exam, lots of you wrote in, wanting to know that real story. And so for today's episode, I'm going to share a conversation with the creator of The Faith Exam, Andrew Chug. In a way, it's a sort of a sequel to The Faith Exam. It's the real-life family ghost story that inspired it, but it's also an exploration of why it felt most true for Andrew to tell the story the way he did, and how he feels about his real-life family ghosts in the wake of telling it that way. There's this map that exists of that time, and like on one point of this map is me and my family and then on another point of this map is this family with Julian and me and Tally Mm -hmm. and I and I didn't know that I was drawing that map out so 
accurate to my, like, reality map. (laughs) (laughs) From WALTFM, you're listening to Family Ghosts. I'm Sam Dingman. And in case it's not clear, if you haven't already, please listen to The Faith Exam before you listen to this week's show. Taken together, these two episodes form a complete thought, a story about great distances and how we map the space between the truth and the light. That's coming up after the break. Do you remember the moment that the idea for this story came to you? Yeah, I think that there's two or three versions of that. Mm -hmm. Originally, believe it or not, this story, um, it was a dark comedy about a girl whose father who had actually killed himself on purpose. Mm. Um, because he was a musician and he wanted his records to be worth more money. <laughs> and <laughs> just just sort of like poking fun at, right. you know, yeah. our tradition of giving value to suicide and, you right. know, just right. how kind of like sick that made me feel. Yeah, venerating um, like the tragic artist. Yeah, exactly. And I, I just, it grossed me out so much I wanted to make a comedy about it. Mm-hmm. And sort of out of that, um, you know, I, I was working with a writing consultant because I hadn't really written anything like this before. Mm-hmm. Just somebody who I trusted and who would give me honest feedback. And she just basically said, like, you know, there's not a whole lot of motivation here for the characters. I know you want it to be super dry, um, <laughs> but we need to, like, build out this world a little bit more. Uh-huh. And so through this desire to build out a a more cohesive world i i kind of built the world that the characters in faith exam exist in mm-hmm. um but their you know who they are has changed so the world has kind of stayed the same like gray poughkeepsie um you know with with a group of people who are inclined to appreciate the arts mm-hmm. um so I just kind of remember building this world. Yeah. And and then they this group of or this family fit into it. Mm-hmm. Was the was the family part of that initial story structure or did that come in to the picture once you changed the Basically, focus? Yeah, it's a good question. Tally was the main character in this earlier iteration. Mm-hmm. So two things really like one was Writing about a family was the sort of, like, greatest possible motivation for the characters that I could find. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the question was always like, well, what is their family life like? Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, what was their childhood like? Things, questions like that to help develop these characters and then sort of uh-huh. just became about the family. And then mm-hmm. moving in parallel to that was like, I was obviously working through something emotionally and spiritually and everything just sort of directed itself towards like, you, you need to do this as a therapeutic process. And the sort of like writing consultant that I had been working with earlier was just like, I know you think you're 
writing a comedy, but I know you're just a big, gooey, emotional <laughs> mess right now. <laughs> so you should probably move that direction a little bit. Hmm. So how did she know that? Is it because were, were you going through something specific at that time? Yeah, and I don't, I don't know how much I clued her in on it because it's mm-hmm. sort of, I reached a sort of like some floodgates in on this project where I was like, okay, I know what to do now. Mm-hmm. I, I need to get this out. Yeah. Um, I hadn't really told her what was going on, but basically there were some substantial family secrets that I found out about that um, were enormously painful. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, they made everything so much clearer. Meaning, you know, you find out about these things and you say, oh, that's why that person behaved like that. Right. Or that's why they had so much guilt. Mm-hmm. Or that's why I didn't talk to them for a long time. It just there was this clarity that was just like, kind of, <laughs> it sounds so stupid, but I was kind of like, hell yeah. It, it makes <laughs> sense now. Like, That doesn't sound stupid to me at all. Yeah, it just was just like, man, I'm so upset and angry about this, but I feel so relieved to know that yes. I wasn't um, making up, you know, sort of like this interpretation of of how it, right, of other people's uh, behavior and emotions. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you used the word relieved. That was that was the first thing that popped to mind for me when you were describing that hell yeah feeling is as upsetting as things are as you know, difficult to reckon with whatever the particular details of this scenario are. There is this quality of relief, I think, in my own experience as well, where you feel like at least there's an explanation. At least, Mm -hmm. and not to name what you were feeling, but I always feel like that that's the sense for me is at least there is this, at least there's a reason to, that, that this was happening and maybe also a possible pathway for me to feel some empathy towards this person who I otherwise might feel a need to just completely cast out of my life because of the way they're behaving or have behaved. Can you tell me the parts of the faith exam story that have a tangible connection to your own life? Yeah, I, I can. I think I'll try to keep it simple because I want there to be room for yeah. interpretation. Sure. Um, one huge thing is just sort of, you know, the opiate epidemic. While did not uh, take my father's life, you know, physically, like pretty much took my father's life. Mm-hmm. Um, the addictions were severe. You know, he's described to me. His rock bottom, um, which is just unbelievably painful for a child to hear from their parent. Um, yeah. In, during that time when he was really at the peak of the struggling, you know, I was lending him money, knowing, not knowing it was going towards drugs, um, mm-hmm. you know, he, hearing him confess things that I had never heard before mm-hmm. while under the influence of of drugs mm-hmm. um <laughs> further rip my heart out to be honest um mm-hmm. and so that side of it is real and i really wanted to 
get something out. I, I think looking back, I wanted to tell the story of, you know, one way that maybe my life could have turned out if he had actually overdosed. Yeah. Um, the other is a little more complicated because uh, it involves a, another family secret. I don't really want to talk about on mic, but sure. the idea being that there's this really substantial family secret and through the telling of that secret and, and just the optimistic openness, um, the family can actually really grow close because of that. Yeah. And, you know, and so I wanted to encourage this idea of like, I don't want to use the word transparency because that feels like I'm in a fucking like <laughs> new corporate. Yeah. But like this idea. Like Bridgewater Capital or something. Yeah. Like <laughs> we, you know, this idea that like you are 15 years old and then you're 19 years old and then you're 25 years old and then all of a sudden you're 32 years old and you're like a man or a woman. Mm-hmm. And that happens extremely quickly and people deserve to know what's going on. They deserve to know if they've been wronged, especially as a child, it's, it, it can bring tremendous relief. Yeah. So just to make sure I understand kind of the journey here, am I correct that these revelations about what your dad went through as well as the other secret that you'd rather not talk about, those are the things that you were processing as you were working through this story? Yeah, absolutely. And and just sort of like, in addition to that, how to bring other people into it too. You know, how to sort of start communicating to other people that I've, this is happening in my family. Yeah. So if I'm being weird, it's because this is going on. If I'm like being short with you, mm-hmm. or if I'm, appear to be distant mm-hmm. it's not because you forgot to put the you know lemon in my drink it's because <laughs> this shit is going on yeah and it's it's occupying pretty much all my senses except for smell <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know if that makes any sense but yeah it actually weirdly does <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah, because I can imagine a scenario where you're dealing with this stuff and you barely taste the food you're eating. I can imagine a scenario where this is going on and you don't really want to touch anybody or maybe you don't want to look people in the eye. I mean, it, it's actually a really compelling way of um, describing it. And smell, I guess smell is sort of involuntary. So <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So when you think about the characters in the faith exam, um are there any, is there one character in particular who you feel like is most directly a stand-in for you? Or is it not that simple? It is that simple, but it's also not. I Because earlier iterations involved a, a character that was more similar to me, like Tally, mm-hmm. I always sort of thought that it was her. Mm-hmm. Um, that was 
sort of a mirror of me. But as the piece developed, it was clear to me that like, you know, B was my mom. (laughs) (laughs) But that I was kind of like Julian um, Mm -hmm. in that I just felt so naive. Yeah. And I felt so like unconditionally loving. And in this story, you know, there are no conditions to to not love Greg. Right. But th- that's not Greg doesn't accurately represent who my father was mm-hmm. or is. Mm-hmm. So, in retrospect it's kind of funny, but I I really just sort of like went to reflect myself as like a 19 year old feels kind of funny because it didn't it wasn't necessarily intentional Mm -hmm. but i just think it reflected like how excited i have been about the world but jen just then finding these things out you know it's really kind of just fucked me up but also reinforced the practice of of getting to know my family better Mm -hmm. is there in in casting your quote-unquote yourself as not just a fictional character, but a fictional character of a different sex than you. Do you feel like there was anything in that addition of another layer of distance enable you to explore more freely the kinds of feelings that were going on without having to feel like you were drawing yourself in the script you know what i mean does this question make sense yeah it definitely does um so i kind of have two answers to that one is that you know i also see myself in greg mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you know i don't have a heroin addiction but i have other addictions mm-hmm. and in tim you know yeah <laughs> i think like right when you're a young man, you can be a fucking asshole. Right. And not even know it. Yeah. And in Tally, of course, and, you know, in B's, like, desire to find help anywhere, (laughs) Mm -hmm. whether it's God or a book or whatever, just please give me something to to latch on to. Right. But I think... um, it, it's not Julian's gender, I think, mm-hmm. but that she really was just a, a curious vehicle to, like, gather information about a, a family. Yeah. And I think that, like, the fact that it was through a spiritual or, like, religious perspective was, like, really what sort of re- reflected me just in the sort of – at the times many of these secrets were coming out, you know, just blindly giving my faith to whatever might want me, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and that was a lot of different, you know, Buddhist literature, Christian literature, or, Mm -hmm. you know, my um, default, you know, atheist literature. I don't know. She really represented that spiritual journey, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things about the Julian character is that she, to my mind, is not just naive. That that it's it's not that simple. It's that she is looking for. 
she believes in the idea that investing in a benevolent system could have positive benefits. Yeah. I, I don't f- find that naive. I find it trusting. Yeah. And, um, I would love to to focus on that word naive for a minute because, like, why is she naive? Because people didn't tell her. Right. You know, it's not because she's a girl. It's not because she's 18. It's mm-hmm. because nobody ever told her what was going on. Right. And, like, you know, so in this story, B is both telling her what's going, what happened with Greg and the truth there so she can make, you know, this can inform the way she fits into the family. Mm-hmm. But also, nobody told her that Tim, you know, might be using his power in ways that are unfair to her. Mm-hmm. Only she can make that decision. Right. So being armed with like all the information to make that decision, I think is what was really important for me to just, I guess, just say like the naive thing is not her fault. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Another thing that I really like about this story is that it's not even necessarily an indictment of Tim as a person. It's an indictment of Tim's actions in a certain, at a certain time and the consequences of those actions. Mm-hmm. We don't ever actually really get to meet Tim. Um, and then you do this thing, which I remember for, for me in reading the story being a big moment, which is you kind of tacitly position us as listeners as Tim, because in the reality of the story, the intended audience of these recordings is Tim. These are for Tim's ears. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in listening to it, the logical conclusion that we as an audience draw is that we are Tim. I'm curious to know what your thought process behind that positioning was. Part of it, you know, kind of comes from a sound design thing, actually. Uh-huh. <laughs> um which was I really wanted listeners to feel like this was, you know, could possibly be their family. Mm-hmm. And the proximity of the actors to the microphone of the cassette can feel really uh, special. Mm-hmm. And I sort of, I, I learned that just through a bunch of digitization of tapes I had been doing yeah. of my family and so part of it was inspired by that but part of it too was just that i felt like in a lot of audio fiction there's just this sort of like sheen of Mm -hmm. um yeah and it doesn't feel like the real room and it doesn't feel like it just feels like it was produced right um and so i from the very, very beginning, even when it was like a comedy earlier, I knew that I wanted somebody messing with proximity to the recording device. And like, you know, an earlier version started with Tally and Julian pressing record and all you hear is screaming because they're laughing so hard. (laughs) Um, And I, I just wanted that like feeling for listeners to just feel like they were in the space and that like, there wasn't a studio or anything, which there wasn't. Right. Um, and for the story reason, it was really important for me to have Tim, for, for listeners to come to their own conclusion about Tim. 
Mm-hmm. On one hand, he's a, a total asshole bully. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, he's, you know, we can assume that he's made um, some changes in his life and that if he is a man of Jesus, that he follows the principles that sort of Jesus laid out. And I I sort of wanted listeners to to see that in themselves too. I, everybody yeah. has done something stupid or mean or rude or, um, you know, mm-hmm. and they probably don't remember it. And in this case, Tim probably doesn't remember, yeah. you know, doing that to Tally. And I just, I, I wanted listeners to reflect on like making assumptions about people and, you know, think about the way just sort of words can be super harmful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and putting the listener in Tim's metaphorical shoes or Tim's metaphorical headphones, I suppose, Mm -hmm. is a really powerful way of doing that. A thing I think about all the time with Tim is there's a tendency when a character like Tim is described to us to assume that that character is just walking around in a constant state of malicious intent and is giddy or gleeful at the negative impacts of the things they say or do. But I have this imagination of Tim listening to these faith exam recordings and being mortified at the Mm -hmm. pain that he caused. And as you say, not maybe not remembering it or remembering it differently um, and having an opportunity to go to these people who he's caused pain to and say, I'm so sorry that that is just as likely an outcome for Tim, the Tim in this world as the version of him. That's like, ah, my dastardly plan was successful. I'll go find my next victim, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I hope that, by positioning the audience in that place, um, we can create that possibility as well, or some other possibility that I'm not imagining. Um, yeah, we don't know enough about Tim to right. to forgive him or not. And then I wanted to imply that a, a little bit, that it he could have either of those reactions or he could be totally psychopathically neutral. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not about whether Tim is good or bad. Mm-hmm. It's about equipping Julian with everything mm-hmm. she needs to make that decision for herself. Yeah. Family Ghosts will continue in a moment. Ghost family, if you're enjoying this week's show, you should know that you're hearing it because of the generous support of the Kindred Spirits, our community of supporters on Patreon. For just $5 a month, Kindred Spirits get all of our episodes ad-free, and they get exclusive access to bonus episodes. Lately, they've been hearing a series of audio pieces produced in partnership with a famous special guest, and this week's installment features an original song written by that guest, that's never been performed anywhere else. 
In addition to those benefits, however, kindred spirits get the satisfaction of knowing that they're keeping the mics hot here at WALT. I know it might seem strange for me to ask for your financial support when you hear ads during the breaks of our show. But the truth is, while I appreciate those sponsorships, they don't come close to covering the costs of doing this work at the level of quality that you expect. So if you have the means, please consider joining the Kindred Spirits today at patreon.com slash familyghosts. And thank you. Another thing that is happening in this story that I find really interesting, and this particular telling of this story that I find really interesting and I want to ask you about is not only have you taken um, some lived experience in your life and uh, transferred it into this imagined world so that to create a, you know, a space to play with the ideas, but you've also... The, this quote-unquote script for this, it doesn't consist of um, written-out dialogue. It consists of a series of scenes where you have described in great detail what's happening in the scene, where the characters are, and you've described what's at stake and what the motivations for the characters are. But all of the dialogue is intended to be improvised. Was there a version of this where you did write out the dialogue and and you know, script it very, very significantly? Or did you always want it to live in this more improvisational space? The latter. I always knew I wanted it to be improvisational. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that collaboration with actors is often something that's missing in uh, fiction. You know, allowing the actor to inject their own experience. Mm Mm-hmm into the character or to, you know, just sort of call out the writer and say like, I don't think this character would actually say that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and we should believe them because they are the ones that have to become this character. Mm -hmm. And there's at least in audio, there's so much just stepping on each other and sort of silence and um, clunkiness or awkwardness that can really only come from allowing that freedom. Um, when you say an audio, you mean like, like, is that a reference to the actual family tapes that you were describing earlier? Like there's in, in those tapes, there is this, there's awkward silences and talking over each other and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, like in the background as my, you know, as my dad, like is talking in one particular tape, you hear my mom just being like, please turn that off. Please turn that (laughs) off. (laughs) And it's so (laughs) subtle, but like, that was really important. If I had line line A followed by, you know, mom says, please turn this off, followed by the next line. Right. It wouldn't have the same impact, I don't think, as like the interruption. Right. And like urgency of mm-hmm. the final day of recording when B, played by Elizabeth, you know, was getting ready for a big monologue. You know, she was, she just kind of told everyone like, Guys, I feel like you should know that my dad is going to die this week or next week. And, you know, she just went on to describe, you know, that he too was an addict. And so this was kind of 
really poignant for her, but also, you know, that it was totally imminent. Um, and sort of every time she looked at her phone, I was just thinking, yeah, you know, yeah, this might be like the, the moment where, you know, one of our actors <laughs> realizes right. that their own father has passed. So there was some just, I don't know, just there's a lot of compassion in the room and yeah. like some nice, just real world parallels that were, mm-hmm. I think, I- inspiring all of us creatively and, yeah, you know, allowing each other to feel more comfortable with their own family stories. For sure. For sure. So to that end, I'm curious, were there any moments in the rehearsal or the recording process where the actors in their improvisation brought out things in the characters or in the story that you didn't know were there? Definitely. They, I mean, they made them so much more Mm three-dimensional and real than I had like really thought about. They asked such good questions about the characters, you know, before tapings. Um, It's a small role, but Tyler, Mm -hmm. um, played by Alex Gould, our conversations before recording were probably multiple hours but he's actually on tape (laughs) not very long at all right right but he saw you know way past the fact that this kid was just a well-liked friend of the family who happened to be gay and he hadn't come out to his parents yet he saw like a depth he expressed on tape a depth that i that I had to sort of hear in order Mm -hmm. to fully understand, Uh which was much more nuanced in, in sort of like showing that he had a similar path as Tally, meaning Tally's already gone through the process of dealing with a big family issue. Right. And he knows that he has to do this himself. Yeah. Well, and in a, in a creative process like this, that amount of, uh, whatever you want to call it, prep work or or world building is so necessary for even a fleeting moment of improvisation to just convey worlds of meaning. Yeah. I'm thinking of one of my favorite things from the session that I was observing was when B is saying to Tally how impressed she is with what a what a handsome and and like forthright um and striking young man tyler has turned out to be and it's clear that she means that in like a loving motherly way Mm -hmm. yeah but tally says in this very arch way like try not to sound so turned on um when you say that um and you know i'm sure i don't know how much of this was in tally's mind but for me tally saying you don't have to sound so turned on has some element of well, don't you think I'm impressive? Don't you think I have turned out well? Don't you think I'm walking bravely through the world too? Yeah. Um, and it's all, and this was eight seconds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, uh, and a moment like that only happens with the kind of, um, I think, with the kind of world building that you were just describing. I, th- I appreciate you bringing up that particular dynamic because one thing that was important for me was to, kind of strike this balance of like P 
parent and child friendship. Right. Which was like, I don't, I don't know how much you can hear in the final product, but I didn't want them to be the type of people who were like, you know, my mom is my best friend. You know, we are, you know, nothing can separate us Mm -hmm. because in my own experience through better understanding, you know, a parent's addiction, I really had to sort of intentionally turn my relationship into a friendship, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. meaning this person isn't going to give me what I need as, as their child. Mm. They are now my peer. Right. How would I, you know, treat a friend, you know, in this situation? How would I lower my expectations to match what they're able to offer me? Mm-hmm. And so behind all of this was just this sort of like exploration of how to, of how those types of relationships work. Mm-hmm. And I think Tally and B are dealing with that to a certain degree too. Which is like, Tally loves her mom. She knows that, you know, she's worked really, really hard and has gone through a lot of trouble, but she doesn't, she can't fully let her in Mm -hmm. because she's had to do that thing where you just kind of like turn your parent into a peer or a friend. Yeah. Right. I had this thought as you were, describing that phenomenon, that phenomenon of, of changing your relationship with a, a parent when you realize that they're not going to be able to be a parent in the way that you might need or hope them to be. That's a very, I don't want to assume, but that feels like a, a realization come to through a lot of reflection and therapy and thoughtful analysis. And what we're seeing in the store, hearing in the story is Tally navigating that in real time navigating that initial set of realizations that are going to lead to that reframing of the relationship. Yeah, absolutely. I think like there's a question you asked earlier, which was like through the improvisation, did they reflect anything back about the characters that I hadn't planned on? Mm -hmm. But I think the answer that I keep thinking about is like, did the characters not reflect things about the characters that I hadn't thought about, but about me that I hadn't thought about. Mm. And forgive the, you know, narcissism, but I I felt like it was really, really cool to realize that, like, it it consciously revealed that my subconscious instinct was actually based on something. Like, you know, it being Poughkeepsie and, like, there being, you know, the Amtrak station there it's like i know that the drugs my father was buying came via amtrak on the line in poughkeepsie and like i didn't intentionally write that (laughs) it just day three of recording i was like holy shit this is this is a uh just a different city right same epidemic i there's this map that exists of that time. And like on one point of this map is, 
me and my family, and then on another point of this map is this family with Julian and me and Tally. Mm-hmm. And I and I didn't know that I was drawing that map out so accurate to my like reality map. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we've just got a couple minutes left. Um and I wanna ask you know, in a family ghost's sense, Greg would be the most, Greg would probably be the person we would identify as the ghost in this, in the fictional story. I'm curious to know for you, do you think of your dad as a ghost? And has this project affected your relationship with that? perception at all. One thing I do want to say is that when I listen to family ghosts, I'm trying to figure out what the ghost is or who the ghost is. Mm-hmm. And on the surface of this show, the ghost is Greg. Mm-hmm. But there's an equally large ghost, which was Telly never told her mom she was bullied like that. Right. And, you know, Julian probably never told B how awful her mom was mm-hmm. to her. Right. So there's this circle of ghosts. Yeah. And they're begging to be released. <laughs> yeah. Do I think, well, it's complicated a little bit, Sam, because like the, the truth is I, I don't know everything at all. Mm-hmm. I, I can't trust what I do know even now. Right. Because of the nature of substance abuse. Mm -hmm. So I think the ghost for me is, or or what I made the ghost for me was not my father, but my father's parents. Mm -hmm. What kind of circumstances create a a person like this? Right. Um, And I, I, do want to say that my dad is also the like really very very kind and intelligent and funny person yeah but so i i had to really find you know how this complicated character was made mm-hmm. and so i just asked i just asked him i said i can't I can't not love you. So you have to tell me the truth. Yeah. And a big part of that ended up being about um, the abuse he suffered as a child. Yeah. Right. I feel... uh, I guess I'm I'm struck as you're saying all of this one by what uh what a significant moment it must have been to um gin up the courage to ask your dad that question and to get that answer. And then also what you were saying about because of the nature of addiction that there are some things that it's 
it may be impossible to actually know the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and that for that reason, a fictional processing of, of all of this makes even more sense. Definitely. It's something I thought about a lot, which was like, if I came to you with a story and we told it in the creative nonfiction genre, mm-hmm. the results wouldn't be what you wanted. Right. Wouldn't be what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Partially because I don't think we'd have gotten the truth, or at least not before I <laughs> became an emotional wreck. Yeah. Um, but also because I couldn't tell it with like the nuance that I wanted to. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I j- it just keeps coming back to me for like this, this idea of, of faith sort of mm-hmm. in a way I, I just had so much faith in that this is the right way to tell the story and that, you know, it would be helpful to me. Really good therapy. Like it was really good therapy. It's given me like just just the process of being creative in this way mm-hmm. has given me faith <laughs> and made me feel spiritually fulfilled mm-hmm. in a way that a deeply cynical atheist doesn't often get to feel. <laughs> Family Ghosts is hosted, written, produced, mixed, and edited by me, Sam Dingman. The editing and mixing on my conversation with Andrew were done in collaboration with Jenna Burnett and Evan Arnett. Thanks to this week's guest, Andrew Chug, who has created many wonderful worlds where your time would be well spent. Check the show notes for links to the work he makes with his production company, Gilded Audio. Our show art is by Teddy Blanks, and our theme song is by Luis Guerra. Incidental music is from Blue Dot Sessions. If you're looking for something to listen to in the off weeks between episodes of Family Ghosts, and you like the HBO dramedy Six Feet Under, check out Fisher Family Ghosts, our first-ever Family Ghosts spinoff. Every week, my partner Adrian and I watch an episode of Six Feet Under and talk about the ways the characters, themes, and narratives affect our perspective on storytelling, and our own families. Find Fisher Family Ghosts wherever you're listening to this. If you have the means, please consider becoming a member of the Kindred Spirits at patreon.com slash familyghosts. And if you don't, no worries. Please consider supporting the show by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts. It takes less than 30 seconds, and it makes a huge difference in terms of helping new listeners find our show. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new story. Thank you for listening, Ghost Family. I'll talk to you then.